0: Hello, good evening and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, we hear from two Irish people who have each just completed solo journeys across the Atlantic, one on a yacht and one on a rowboat. On Christmas Day, photographer Jim Schofield achieved a lifelong ambition when he finished a solo race across the Atlantic. Jim sailed a 19-foot yacht he built himself in his garage in Blessington. I met Jim in his home this week and he told me about his adventure.
1: I didn't see the sea till I was about 12 years of age and I was very disappointed when I first saw it. So I started sailing in Glenans in Cork. A friend of mine introduced me to uh, sailing in in Dublin and I, I took a week in Cork and I got the bug back to dublin and nobody i knew had a boat because i wasn't in the sailing world i wasn't in indian leary or any or Hose, any places so i bought a little boat quickest way to jump in was buy a little boat and that was a steep learning curve as you can imagine Jumped straight into it and learned a lot i did my first little single hand with that i remember the day i sailed out of i actually joined dnyc in dunleary and one day it was which was more than the coal harbor i said right i'll go for this and i sailed out and down and around amoglins and came back up and picked up the mooring in the cold harbour, and I felt like Christopher Columbus. I thought, "Wow, this is cool!" And <laughs> like in terms now, it was small stuff, but to me at the time, it was fantastic.
0: Now we're here in your home in Blessington. You built a boat in your garage. You've sailed it single-handedly across the Atlantic.
1: Yes, it was a, somebody kind of a pandemic a pandemic project. I saw an article online in early twenty about building a little 19-foot boat, a sailboat and race across the Atlantic in November 21. The idea was there was a deadline of the 18th of November 21 to start a, tra- a solo transatlantic race. Uh, and this had been brewing in my head since those early days, since my mid-twenties. I was reading about all the greats, the Joshua Slocums and the Harry Pigeons and all the famous sailors. And I wanted to do a single-hand transatlantic forever in the back of my head. It was brewing away. I saw the ad online, I saw the, the uh, ad website that Don McIntyre formed, and I just thought it's now or never. I had to call my own bluff and say, okay, Jim, do or die. So I bought the plans and we started building. And the uh, COVID hit, of course, and I was locked in my shed for literally seven days a week. So, in a way, it was a happy accident that, COVID, that, 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 that the pandemic was on because I was able to spend time doing it. And the whole thing happened right throughout COVID. I built the boat, we launched it, we started the race in November 21, and I finished in Martinique in the West Indies on Christmas morning.
0: The boat, let's talk about the boat. We have a picture in front of us here. It's not the biggest.
1: It's not the biggest. It's 19 foot long, 5.8 metres. And the idea was you could fit it into a 20 foot container to ship around the world. So Don McIntyre, his idea was to get these fleet of boats built all over the world, and take part in uh, basically big races around the world, like ocean races all over the place, and be able to ship the boats around. So my shed, my garage is 20 foot long, so I knew it would, I couldn't even build it inside that, so I had to extend the garage by two metres, with, with kind of rough timber and plywood, and with a makeshift extension, uh, I got to plywood and I started building. How do you even start at something like this? You get the plans... You get the plans, I do a lot of thinking. You read, I went over and over and over and mulled it over my head. And I built it a thousand times in my head before I ever put a saw to wood. Um, you build frames, uh, build, it upside, build the whole upside down, first of all, build frames. Then you build a strong back to hold the frames up. And then you put on the panels. You sheet the whole thing in fiberglass. So sheet it in two layers of very heavy fiberglass cloth. And then I got a neighbor in and we turned it over. Just before we get onto that bit, okay, the frames. The frames are made of plywood and Douglas-4 combination. The frames are mainly Douglas-4 with corner gussets of uh, 9 mil ply. And the whole thing is held together with uh, two-part epoxy. So it's, it's absolutely rock solid. And it was one day when I had the whole finished and I, I tapped on the side of it and the whole boat rang like a bell. And then I knew that I had a boat, that all the little bits of wood had come together to make a new, complete shell.
0: Your garage wasn't the biggest. As you, you showed me photographs here, you only had about a foot or so on either side?
1: I had 18 inches either side, which is ridiculous. So sometimes I had to take long boards out the door, turn them around, and bring them back in to make them fit, I had to fit them properly. Uh, I built an extension in the front of it, as I said, just to make it fit. And when we took it out, I had to break down the side of the garage door. And my neighbour very kindly rebuilt it for me the next day. So it was, talk about it. I, I, I was nearly a ship in a bottle, but, but we got it out and then we got the keel made um, and all the stainless steel and put it on a trailer. And hell for leather, we headed for Portugal.
0: The building process I'm quite interested in and people trying to build boats like this. You built the frame, you sheeted it with plywood, and then put epoxy over that
1: it arrived as 25 sheets of plywood but with cnc cut out all the shapes were cut out in cnc so i had to cut those out and that saved me a lot of time and effort compared to lofting or drawing each individual piece on the plywood because um if there was there was were certain times when it didn't fit together and i knew that i was wrong because i knew Mm -hmm. the parts were perfectly cut or the the individual bits that i had cut out were right and if it was wrong then i was wrong and I had to re- So several times I had to go backtrack by a week or two and make things fit because um, uh, any boat builder, the whole thing is symmetry. And that's what I... I hadn't realised the work in finishing a boat. I thought when I bought the, got the boat built, I had a boat. I wasn't even halfway because the same as building a house, you can put a roof on a house, then you have to fit it out. Mm-hmm. So I had to get the keel, the centre seal, then the mast arrived, all the bits and pieces. I had to wire it. Plumbed with bilge pumps, um, all the little feet. Everything took more time than I expected. Um, and then, of course, the race to get finished because I had to, it had to pass regulation for race, for, for, for Atlantic Race. So I had a 10-page A4 checklist of boxes to tick. The race was about to start. You loaded the boat onto a trailer. We loaded the boat onto a trailer, and we headed from our to um, Bilbao, And we drove it, I drove non-stop for 20 hours, right from Bilbao, right down to Lagos, on the south of Portugal, because the race was starting on the Monday morning. This was. I arrived at 7 o'clock on the Monday morning. Now, there were six of us heading off for a qualifier from Portugal to the Canary Islands. So, four of the guys left. Now, they, they were waiting for me ostensibly. They said they were waiting for the Irish guy. They were waiting for me because they needed flares I had brought <laughs> with me because they couldn't get them in Portugal. Small little handheld flares as part of the regulations. So four of the guys left on the Monday morning. Don, the organiser, left on the, thir- on the Wednesday. And uh, Roger and Alan, two guys, two great from Dublin, came with me. And they said, Jim, on Thursday morning, you're leaving here. Hell, Hoosier, We're cutting your lines, and you're going. And that's it. And that's exactly what happened. So on Thursday morning... And my race began, and I set sail. I literally put on the self-steering gear on the Thursday morning. I'd never tried it out. I brought it out of the plastic bag on the pontoon on the Thursday morning. We screwed it together. We put it on. I mortared it out. I put up the sails, and I knew it was 210 degrees from Portugal to Lanzarote. And I was so exhausted, I went down below and I fell asleep. I woke up two days later. The boat was still steering 210 degrees straight from Portugal. (laughs) How did you feel when you got on the start line after all that work? Exhausted. I should have been, I've come away from and exhaustion, but uh, the real, the uh, 600 qualifier was fun. That was like, I was sick as dog the first two days because I hadn't sailed literally for nearly two years before that. So okay. uh, in a small boat, 19 foot long, two and a half meters wide, it was pretty rough inside. Any kind of a sea and you were tossed around inside. So the first two days were rough and then I got used to it. Um, and arrived in Lanzarote, actually, on a, a beautiful sunny morning.
0: So you qualified for that by getting to the Canaries? What was the next step? You were about to go across the Atlantic.
1: Well, the next step was hanging around and, and chewing the fat in Canaries and sorting out the boat, because they made a lot of mess, and I brought too many tools with me. Because I rushed, I brought everything with me just in case, because I didn't know. You hit the deadline, the race starts? Hit the deadline, and the race starts. How many boats? Uh, five boats took off. Now, of the five, I was the non-racer the rest of them were racers and there was a high pressure for the first few days so i kind of wallowed around for a bit then just kept working my way south and my idea was to go close to to capeford islands and turn right for the west indies on the what's called the southern sailing route the old sailing ship route so uh, after about a week little by little the winds picked up and then i kind of realized that i'm in the trades and the scale of the sea and the weather I hadn't expected. It was my first time out in deep ocean, endless sets of swell and waves, two-story high, rolling on endlessly, day after day after day. So the first first two weeks was pretty new to me, and I learned a lot. and the, And the vol- and and the, inside the boat was pretty rough because we were tossed around continuously. My idea was to be able to lie out on deck and watch the stars and see wildlife. I got to lie out on deck one night and watch the stars. Now, the stars were fantastic. I got a fantastic view of the, of, of the Milky Way and all the bits and bobs, all the, all the constellations. But that didn't last long because the weather was heavy. And after talking to a few other guys who finished this year, they thought the same thing. It was a, a kind of a, a rough year to do a transatlantic, or before Christmas anyway. It was a particularly, having said that, it was a constant three or four meter swell. 25 to 30 knot winds which in terms of open sea is not a lot but in a 19-foot yeah. boat is a lot and of course every so often at uh, the three or four meter seas combines to make a five meter sea 25 30 knots it's a yellow wind warning here exactly and the only constellation is was downwind I'm getting mm-hmm. blown downwind all the time uh it's like a huge conveyor belt of energy blowing you westwards and when you're on it you just have to keep there's no turning around there was there were several days I looked at it and thought, okay, just keep going. Put the head down and just keep rolling because there's no choice in it. Mm-hmm. I'm in it now. The boat is here. Now we're heading west. Go for it. Wildlife? Wildlife. Again, I expected more wildlife. I saw lots of dolphins, beautiful fish all around the boat, birds. But I saw no whales, unfortunately. Fish around the boat every day. And after a week or so, I saw I had, I had a few little goose barnacles and at night I could hear chewing inside. So I think the little fish were chewing chewing off the barnacles on the outside, I was hearing, on the, inside, hearing the little little raspers. Um, lovely seabirds, and every day a different seabird arrived. I lost count of the numbers of seabirds, and always just one or two, not flocks. I was amazed they were very yeah. singular, solitary birds, and they'd mm-hmm. fly around me for hours, just around my boat, and then they'd head off again.
0: What kind of progress were you making?
1: I wasn't. I was making progress. My ninety to a hundred miles a day. Now I found out afterwards. I had no no direct, direct communication uh, with other guys. They had sat phones. I had a little a little satellite satellite text machine, which I should have got a sat phone. Thinking back, so they were in more communication than I was. So I I was I didn't know um, where they were exactly. They were. I knew they were ahead of me because they were racers. So there's no weather reporting, I just had to take the weather. As it came so progress wise I was doing about between eighty and a hundred and ten. I think the best was just just under one hundred and ten miles a day, whereas by comparison one of the guys who won there's one hundred and fifty miles in a day okay. now the, uh, so how you do one hundred and fifty miles a day in nineteen foot boat is you hand steer all the time. He basically hand steer twenty hours a day mm-hmm. now he's a big they were big strong lads and they were and they're racing for glory because I think they're they're hoping for a future in in ocean racing a fair play to until fine fine sailors uh, i was just jogging along to do the distance. as yeah, to, to, yeah. across the pond so i was on my self-steering gear all the time i reckon i spent no more than 20 minutes hand steering everybody's self-steering gear lasts well there wasn't a single breakage on my boat nothing Now i didn't push it uh the one guy um etienne the guy who won in the end he broke a part of his spreader but of all the boats nobody broke anything of significance which is pretty good testament to a tough little boat after a transatlantic crossing how long did it take you how did you feed when you were out it took me i suppose too long i ended up um we left on the 17th of november and i pulled in to Mar- i dropped anchor in martinique in st anne's bay beautiful white sandy bay at half one on christmas morning which is nearly 40 days i had loads of water left and i had two days food left so i timed it just right
0: how did you feel finishing it after all those years' preparation?
1: Amazed I, I cried. I did a few little little um, social media videos, um, which was a bit surreal because you met nobody out there. I saw a few boats. I spoke to a few guys on VHF all the time to get forecasts here and there. but but essentially you're on your own. It's a double- edged sword. you have to mind your head. So I learned a lot about mm-hmm. my head, about mental stability, about not getting frustrated, not getting cross if something was wrong. You do it again
0: the 40 days and 40 nights of solitude
1: i know it's biblical isn't it <laughs> um it's the longest i've ever been alone and most of that i'm actually naked <laughs> that's a curious thing talking to other guys afterwards that we all end up being naked because it's, it's easier because the clothes are covered in salt because small boats always there was salt crusted or salt spray uh, coming over from the side so it's easier to stop wearing clothes but anyway um 40 days forty nights, i read a lot um i read a lot of philosophy and beckett and poetry i read jane eyre cover to cover a few other authors uh i should have brought more books i should have brought more comfort food my food was too good i had no fun food i had no rubbish with me for, for, a bit of, for a bit of release i should have brought more chocolate it was a case of just again every day mind your head keep going rock on and a new every time i looked out the back over the transom i could see well that's 100 yards i won't have to do again that's another 10 10 yards or whatever as you're rolling along you see the um i see you wake behind you so well that's a bit i won't have to do again so we're we're moving every day and it will really come uh, i i deliberately didn't check my distance to the end until i was well over halfway so I, I didn't count down every day i have so many miles to go because i knew to drive me crazy so I waited until halfway, well over halfway, and then I was able to count down as the miles day by day.
0: The boat now is in Martinique. What's she called, by the way?
1: She's called Molly Clare, named after my combination of my wife and my daughter. She's in Martinique. What's your next plan? She's in Martinique, and the, the other boats are in Martinique. I think they're all tied up side by side. She's actually for a sale at the minute. so If you want to buy a boat, go for it. But she's planned to come back on a, on a ship. They're all uh, uh, booked on a ship to come back to Lorient in France sometime in March or April. So if it doesn't sell, I go down to Lorient and end of March or April and we'll sell her back. That's the plan. It's on uh, boatshed.com. I've dropped the price. Now, some people said, How could you sell the boat after all that? But it's done. I've, uh, I feel extremely grateful to have to 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 have had a dream for so many years, to get to build a boat, to do the transatlantic, and get to do it. I'm de- I'm delighted I got to do it, and, and and now it's time to move on because it's a very particular boat. It's like to uh, have it here to be like have a little sports car going down for the groceries. It's a it's a mini racing boat for for crossing oceans. That's what it's for. That's what it's built for, and that's what it does very well. If we want to look at some of your things, you you have stuff online. I have stuff online. If you just Google Liffy Sailor, because I'm a member of of a a pool bag club, I decided my social media handle is going to be Liffy Sailor. So if you just Google Liffy Sailor, there's a blog on the building of it. I'm also, actually, TikTok was fantastic. I started TikTok in the middle of the build. My son put me onto TikTok and said, "I can do that." And I did a little TikTok one day, and next day had five and a half thousand followers, and now I've nearly, I don't know, seventeen or eighteen thousand followers. I didn't pull any punches. If I messed up, I I showed the mess ups. And if I did something right, I showed the bits I did right. And people, I think, appreciate the authenticity and the truth of it. If you just Google Liffey Sailor on TikTok uh, or a blog, you can follow the progress and all the bits and bobs as they happened.
0: And many thanks to Jim Schofield. Now, on Thursday of last week, sports psychologist Dr. Karen Weeks became the first Irish woman to row across the Atlantic and only the 20th woman in the world to complete a solo ocean crossing. Karen lectures at Munster Technological University and lives in Canvara County Galway. She spent 81 days at sea on her 25-foot boat, Millie, named after her late mother. Landing in Barbados, she spoke to Lorna Siggins, who first asked her about stepping on shore.
2: Uh, seeing the land was pretty cool and I could actually smell the land Uh, you could smell sort of the the vegetation and everything like that and uh, stepping off was funny because I pulled up into this little pontoon and um, the minister for sport from Barbados and the minister for tourism was there as well and I stepped off and I had a major speed wobble I nearly went off the end of the pier And this Minister for Sport stopped me from falling into the water because my legs just weren't used to the land. So uh, fair play to the Minister for for Sport. He saved me an embarrassing swim. Yeah, just uh, like when I was coming around the corner and uh, just hearing the crowd just chanting and singing, she can do and everything. It was just, it was very emotional, like, and it was just mind-blowing, really. But uh, yeah, it was great. And it was lovely to get on land and uh, meet all my friends and family again. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's all a bit surreal, Lorna, to be honest with you. Karen, we've had
3: three bad storms in the last week, so being on the ocean would be the last place you'd want to be. How do you cope when you know that the storms or the squalls are coming your way and you don't really have any way of avoiding them?
2: Uh, you just get your your routines in place, like your safety routine. So I had so many squalls, like so many squalls. And like I'd have a rope drogue would be the first thing. And then a witch's hat drogue would be the sort of second next step. And then the para-anchor would be the final step. Basically, I remember just even when I was learning sailing 100 years ago. Uh, and they said, when should you reef? And it was always when you first think of it. So I did sort of take that principle on board. And I'd have a drogue ready if I saw a squall coming in or if there was bad weather coming in I would have the systems in place and ready and then just deploy them before it actually hit in if I could it is a relief not to have capsized and uh, I really didn't want to capsize I think because we, I sort of managed Millie in that sort of frame of mind you know I was cautious is one word but I was sort of safety conscious that way we didn't capsize which is great yeah so the drogue was to slow me down yeah and also just to um, try and keep the boat a bit more stable at times you know but yeah, it worked. It worked really, really well. And then you had to dive off the boat and swim
3: underneath a few times to clean off the barnacles.
2: Yeah, so I did. I did a good bit of cleaning on the boat. Some people said, "Why did you not anti-foul it?" And there was two reasons for that. Really, the main reason was for the ocean conservation, all that sort of stuff. I didn't want to be putting chemicals in the water. Also, from a practical standpoint, it just makes the boat harder to sell in a way because you're you've this big lump of rusty colored antifouling yeah i had a scraper thing so i'd go in under the water and i'd scrape off all the goose barnacles every 10 days or so so it hasn't been done for about two weeks now because the waves were just too big the last couple of weeks
3: and you had a lot of marine life for company including barnacle loving dorada fish
2: the Dorado fish were there right till the end I'd say 15 miles 15 nautical miles before the end but yeah they I had two batches one batch on the first few weeks and then my reliables then I really felt I got to know them and everything it was amazing actually because uh, they just hung under the boat and one of them was always there if say if I'd stopped rowing and then I started rowing again they'd jump up and crash onto the sea and I think they were sending a message to the other saying like she's on the move again because they like me it was like an island they can eat the goose barnacles first of all but also they can shelter from the the sun so yeah they were lovely and i was sad to see them go really and was it just one shark you
3: met the one that you hit with the oar
2: yeah one hammerhead shark yeah the the hammerhead shark that i hit in the head with the oar so yeah he was the only uh he was the only shark i saw i'm sure there was others but he was the only one i saw for sure
3: so karen what cognitive tools would you have to keep you going or if you were feeling a bit overwhelmed out there in the middle of the ocean
2: uh, well, I had two sort of uh, pictures in the cockpit and I had writing on those and I had stuff written down. So prompts. Uh, yeah, just remembering who I was doing it for and why I was doing it and just some sort of cognitive coping stuff that would help me if I was under pressure. And yeah, I, I just tried to remember the team and my family and why I was doing it and the whole she can do ethos and I was making history and making records or breaking records I had no interest in but making history to me was a different entity altogether and I think making history is something that you can be proud of and I was making history for Ireland and I was making history for Weekses and you know my family name and that that meant a lot to me and that was a good motivation you know that because I was the first Irish woman to row solo across the Atlantic that meant a lot to me not the records thing the historical thing you know and that's there forever which I think is pretty cool you know.
3: So Karen you have many adventures under your belt. You have cycled solo across Canada. You've cycled across North America with Orla Knight. You have canoed around Ireland with Suzanne Kennedy. You've cycled home from the Arctic Circle after paddling on the Lofotans. Was this your most difficult challenge?
2: Oh by a million miles absolutely yeah 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 oh, it was just it was very 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 tough and like today is the first day that I cannot be worrying, not worrying, but I'm not focused, my brain isn't focused on what's happening next, what's coming next with the weather what's, what I have to consider for me and Millie for our safety. It's gas because like, even this morning my body's aching and it hasn't been, you know, for 81 days. I'm just, I'm wrecked now. I'm really, really tired and you just can't turn off at all. I had maximum, I'd say, four hours sleep for the last eight days, one day. So I can just kick back and relax and just not worry, not, not focus, just do my own thing, you know, just chill. Like, I had some very, very big seas, the, the biggest seas I've ever seen, for sure. Maybe it was because I'm in a, a 25-foot ocean rowboat on my own. There was two days that I had really, really big seas. And, like, the turquoise at the top of the wave and the white blowing off it. And they're so steep, you know, but they weren't dangerously steep in that they're out so far in the ocean that they have time to breathe whereas you know if you see a big wave coming in towards the Atlantic shores of Ireland say off the west coast they're thundering in and they've nowhere to go and they get steeper and steeper but out there they have space to breathe and so your boat goes up the size of the wave and then it goes down the other bit or sometimes you might surf it or whatever but uh, yeah they were they were very big and (laughs) but they weren't aggressive to me you know which was nice.
3: So I'm sure you're looking forward to a well-earned rest and uh, what's next, Karen?
2: plant spuds and plant vegetables we have a lot an awful lot of plans for she can do like she can do 2021 is complete that was the ocean row we have plenty of ideas to help promote girls into adventure sports and to participating in pushing their boundaries and just doing something that they hadn't done before and also then to promote the sustainability and ocean conservation so yeah she can do will live on and i live on in my vegetable patch and chilling out with my buddies
0: And many congratulations to Karen Weeks, speaking there to Lorna Siggins. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast, it's on our website, Seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe.
3: And Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.